0: Chapter 35 The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it, the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even with God, with a recompense, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of dragons, where each lay, shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And an highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools shall not err therein. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed out of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So far the reading of God's inspired, infallible word. Based on this and many other passages, we have the instruction of the Heidelberger in Lord's Day 22. Only two questions and answers. Question 57. What comfort doth the resurrection of the body afford thee? Answer, that not only my soul after this life shall immediately be taken up to Christ its head, but also that this my body, being raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and be made like unto the glorious body of Christ. Question 58. What comfort takest thou from the article of life everlasting? Answer. That since I now feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, after this life I shall inherit perfect salvation, which I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man to conceive, and that to praise God therein forever. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, there's a hymn, the chorus of which goes, We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion the beautiful city of God. And that's why I chose for our passage Isaiah 35, for we read there, don't we, that an highway shall be there and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness, where the unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. So boys and girls, just like we had a couple pictures this morning in our scripture passage of fields that are verdant, or a beautiful building, a palace, tonight we have another picture. Can you see it in your mind? A highway. A smooth highway. A broad highway. No, 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 not the one that leads to destruction. Destruction. But it is a broad highway, a smooth highway without anything preventing those that are on it there in the desert. Where would you expect a highway in the desert except everything is going to be changed? Because there will be no desert in heaven. There were deserts and wildernesses because of sin. And if you go back to Isaiah chapter 34 you will see there God's condemnation of Edom. Edom that comes out of Esau. While there is judgment for them, they will all be removed. No wildernesses up in heaven, but pools of water, springs of water, verdant land, roses blossoming. What a picture. There shall be a highway and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. Oh, in the place of desolation that we see in this world, there will be no more deserts. But there will be that highway, a prepared way, prepared by God himself, whose existence can be found And can be detected without difficulty. Not an ordinary road of travel. But one of holiness. On which pilgrims will travel to the holy city. Nothing impure, nothing unholy can enter in upon it. For the unclean one doesn't belong to the holy one. Only the redeemed who are God's own people shall cross over that desert on this way. And then in verse 9, while the desert usually was a place of a lot of dangerous animals, on the way to the heavenly city, there will be nothing to fear, but there will be perfect safety. No ravenous beast, none to tear or to devour. God's people traveling there, delivered. All obstacles and hindrances will be removed from the land, and only the redeemed, the rightful heirs of the promises, will walk in that land. The redeemed are those delivered out of the hands of the enemy, namely sin and Satan and death. When will this prophecy take place? When, that is, will it be realized and when will it be fulfilled? Isaiah sees into the future of the desolation of the wicked, of Edom, chapter 34. And he sees into the future the glorious return of God's elect people from their captivity in Babylon as the book of Isaiah really has the whole theme, Israel or Zion will be redeemed through judgment. All wickedness removed, nothing to fear any longer. There will no longer be, as we read in one of the verses there, feeble hands or knees that are feeble. What a day, what a day. We read in verse 10 that these redeemed ones are the ones who have been ransomed. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Ransom. The very term, boys and girls, points us to the cross of Jesus Christ, doesn't it? For you and I were in the bondage of sin, but a price was paid, a dear price was paid, wasn't it? The blood of God's only Son, Jesus Christ. You and I who were in the power of sin, you and I who were in the grip of guilt, You and I who are under the power of death, through the payment of this ransom, the ransom paid by Christ's blood. Oh, the Old Testament saints looked forward to that, a future of hope by way of types and shadows, didn't they? There were the prophets, there was the temple worship, there were the sacrifices that were made over and over, there was the priesthood, and there was the kingship, types and shadows of Christ's kingdom. A highway, coming with songs to Zion, realized in type, realized in type by Israel's Coming out of Babylon, that small remnant, 49,000. But you will remember there were dangers. Later on, the king even has soldiers go along with the remnant that comes back. And while they sing songs, the land that they would come back to was desolate, wasn't it? The cities destroyed, the houses broken down and the temple completely removed. They had to go through the wilderness, and they get there, and yes, their arms are feeble, and their knees are feeble for the work. So that there's only a type and a shadow. It's an important type because that was the land of Canaan that was promised to God's people and given back to God's people. But it looked forward and is realized in principle with the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For it is in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ that the blind are able to see and the lame are able to walk and the dead are awakened and made alive. Yes, the church, finally realized not by types of animals, who are sacrificed, but the blood of Jesus on Calvary. But still, that is only partial, isn't it? For there are still the blindness of sin that we have to suffer through at times. And at times, it's so easy for our feet to go in wayward ways, and sways of sin. And our hands sometimes become weary in doing good. So we look still further. We look to finally the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in this catechism question and answer, we're looking at the new heavens and the new earth where there'll be no more night, where there'll be no more sin, where there'll be no more feebleness or fear. All blindness removed All lameness removed, hands ready to serve our Lord forever and ever. And oh, the blossoming, no longer just buds, but the roses opened up to all the beauty. No more desert, but at home with the Lord Jesus Christ to serve him day and night. Yes, may the church sing, we're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. You'll notice that the catechism in our Lord's Day speaks again of comfort, doesn't it? Comfort presupposes or implies sorrow. It presupposes presupposes that right now we live having to go at times to the graveyard and there is the markers on the graves and there are the obituary notices that we have to read there is sickness and there is pain and there is trouble hardly are tears wiped away and there is another cause for tears to come over our eyes if not over sickness or pain or death than over the terrible sins that we are conscious of. But there's a difference in our sorrow than the sorrow of the world for we do not sorrow, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, as those who have no hope. What is that hope? What is that joyful hope that our eyes are set upon? And this question, do you personally and do I and do we have that joyful hope set before us. In the midst of the tears of this life, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, the eternal bliss of Zion, the church Notice that eternal bliss, first of all, immediately after death. Notice, second of all, the eternal bliss at the resurrection of the body. And notice, thirdly, the eternal bliss in the life everlasting. First of all, the eternal bliss immediately after death. Because the catechism instructor speaks about our souls. And really, our catechism instructor there is really stepping outside of the boundaries of the question that was asked. For the question is asked about the resurrection of the body. But our instructor wants to go just like. As the soul immediately is taken up to heaven to be with Christ. We don't know much about the intermediate state, do we? The Bible doesn't speak a lot about that, probably because it'd be very hard for us to understand it, to understand how the soul can Exist in heaven without the body. There are those who think that Christ has only come to save souls. But Christ was given to us not merely to save our souls, no, his saving effect also has an effect on our bodies. And Christ came into this world not only to save us body and soul, but also to save his whole creation. Look at Romans chapter 8. The whole creation now groaning, travailing, waiting, like a woman expecting a child, waiting in expectation for the adoption of sons when it too will be renewed. So we don't go through life with just a kind of a soul piety. I care about my soul being belonging to God, but my body can be lived for the devil. No. We were created as humans in the image of God, and that was we were created with a soul and a body that belonged together. And the terrible thing of death is that it brings about separation, doesn't it? It brings about separation of body and soul. They're ripped apart. What about that body? What about that soul? How beautifully the Bible describes the death of a believer as asleep. The body is resting in the grave, resting from its hard battle against sin, resting from our race, the race that is set before us by God, and our souls are immediately taken up into heaven. Not purgatory. When I first went to the Philippines before I took the call there I was asked to speak a word for a believer in a nation that's really 85% Roman Catholic There was many different rooms there where people were and I gave a message of the thief on the cross The elder that was with me was kind of afraid Kind of afraid if we were going to get out of there. Because God's word says that for the child of God, the soul is not resting in purgatory for a long period of time. The soul is not roasting over the fires of hell in purgatory to burn out the rest of the sins. But the sins have all been blotted out by the blood of Jesus Christ. What is the state of the soul? It is not soul sleep. It is not the case that the souls are sitting on some dusty shelves just waiting around. And surely it is not the teaching of Scripture that the souls are annihilated. That we are just like the animals that live for a little while and die and that's all. No, the Bible gives a beautiful picture of the soul in a parable Boys and girls, do you remember that parable of the rich man and Lazarus. They both died, and the soul of the rich man went to hell, while the soul of Lazarus was taken up into the bosom of Abraham. And oh, that rich man cried out to Abraham from hell, cause Lazarus to come and dip some water on my tongue because that rich man was a wicked man who was now tormented in hell while Lazarus is in the bosom of Abraham enjoying the bliss, the glory of heaven. Now you say, well, but that's a parable. You have to be careful how much you try to take out of a parable. Do the dear saints up in heaven see those wicked people that are down in hell and probably not who'd want to look at that picture rather they want to experience the glory of being with Christ Jesus in heaven but if you don't want to take it from the parable then let's go back to Jesus' word to that thief on the cross his whole life lived in sin rebellion but he turned to the Savior He saw the Savior there on the cross and he said, here's his prayer, remember me when thou comest to thy kingdom. And Jesus did not say someday, someday, but rather Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The soul immediately, taken up to be with Christ. It's not the case that we take ourselves up there, but rather Christ with his angels comes down to take his saints and carry them up to heaven with him. A soul with Christ Jesus that was the assurance that Job had in all of his troubles too, isn't it? That with his eyes, he would see God. But rather than talking about bodies and souls, maybe we should take instead the instruction that we have by the Apostle Paul through the Spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Here's a good way to speak about what takes place at death. We read there, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. The outward man, the person that lives here in this world with all of its sins and all of its troubles and trials, is laid to rest. And the inward man, the child of God, is taken home to heaven, renewed day by day, cared for by the Lord Jesus Christ, serving him, seeing him, ruling with him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now we don't know exactly what that house, that building of God, that house not made with hands is all about. There are those who say we're going to be given a temporary body there. I don't believe that. Because if we were given a temporary heavenly body there, Who would need that body that's laying in the grave? But God provides. God provides somehow for the souls of his saints that have been gathered now for some 6,000 years. The souls of the saints are with Christ Jesus. As Paul says, which is far better than being here. At home with Christ. That's the eternal bliss. The day that we die, look at that word in the catechism, immediately. So that means that while the family is still finding out that their loved one has died, while the family is weeping over in sorrow because they're going to miss that loved one, that loved one is already with Christ Jesus. Isn't that what enables us as believers to go through funeral services, the death of loved ones, not even wanting them to come back to us because they have glory there while we continue our earthly pilgrimage with all of its troubles. At home with the Lord. That brings me to my second point of the sermon, the eternal bliss. At the resurrection of the body. The soul is with Christ Jesus. And I think of that passage from Revelation 14 verse 13. Blessed are they that die. Isn't that strange to hear? Blessed are they that die. For they rest from their labors and their works to follow them. They rest from their labors of trying to arrest that sinful nature that is within us. Fighting the battle of faith, running the race that's set before us. They rest from their labors and their works to follow them. But that's just the beginning, called the intermediate state. The Bible speaks much more about that day. That's the final hope. You'll remember the Old Testament prophets as they're looking forward. We talked about the mountains as you come in Colorado. As you see the mountains, it looks like one big mountain range. But once you get up in the mountains, you find out there's big valleys in between. The Old Testament saints couldn't see the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in terms of a first and a second coming. A coming in humiliation and a coming in glory. But... We know he's coming in glory and that's the final hope. When all things will be made new, the vision that Isaiah gives God's weary saints, the remnant in Isaiah 35. The body will be raised. Incorruptible. The body Francis of Assisi spoke of his body as brother donkey. Others talk about the body as ballast surrounding the poor soul. But the scripture doesn't talk about the body that way. You see, in Greek philosophy, anything material, that is the body, was evil. And so, in Greek philosophy, when the soul was set free from the body, that was supposed to be a wonderful thing because the soul was escaping like a bird out of a cage. But scripture talks about this body as the temple of the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? The body is important. A soul without a body could be compared to a painter without a brush. Can you imagine that? Some of you are painters painting without a brush. Or can you imagine a sculptor without a chisel? Or a writer without a pen? The body is important because the soul has that body in order to express itself. And there is a wonderful future for these bodies. I believe in the resurrection of the body. The same body. The same body that is sown in the grave just like wheat by the farmer is put into the ground. It springs up. It has life. So this body that we rest in the grave of loved ones whether it be a parent, whether it be a brother or sister, whether it be a dear child, will not remain in the grave, but will be raised just as Jesus' body was raised. And no matter what happened to that body in this life, whether it was in a terrible car accident, whether it was racked with cancer, whether it was lost in the sea or burned with fire, a miracle will take place. A same kind of miracle when God caused life to come into Adam and Eve when he created them. The same kind of miracle when the Holy Spirit creates new life in our hearts. So also the miracle. When Christ comes again, our bodies will be raised from the dead. The mortal, we read in First Corinthians 15, will put on immortality. The corruptible will put on incorruption. The natural, what was sown a natural body that belonged to this earth will be made a spiritual body that dwells in the new heavens and the new earth. I believe in the resurrection of the body. And that is why, isn't it, why we treat these bodies carefully in life and also in death. Abraham found a tomb for his precious Sarah so that she could be buried waiting for that day when there will be a resurrection. And so also we treat the bodies carefully at death. Sometimes You will hear people say, well, that's not really so-and-so, the loved one that they're talking about. She's up in heaven. That's wrong. That body belongs very much to that person that we loved and we cared for just as the soul is. But that body is resting there, and so we put it in the grave with hope, joyful hope. When the trumpet sounds, These bodies will be raised incorruptible. Raised to life and joined again with the soul. On the last day. Oh, there are many that laugh and deny that truth of God's word, don't they? In Jesus' day, there were the Sadducees. There there were the Epicureans who believe that you live here just for a little while, you eat and you drink and then you die, so make the most of your little life here. Still others today think that, well, no matter whatever happens when we die, ah, we're all going to have a wonderful future ahead. But that is not the way the scriptures talk about it, and I'm going to get to that in the third point. Because it is the new life that we have been given in this life. Which is a life everlasting. It's not something completely new. Life. Raised up from the dead, both the righteous and the wicked. Now why would God want to raise those wicked people up? When the wicked die, and let us be warned by this... When the wicked die, they will meet their maker. And immediately their soul will go to hell. And their bodies also will be raised so that body and soul, they will exist in the torments of God's wrath. Remembering all the things that they have said and done against our God and his Christ. What a terrible thought that is. But the righteous, they also will be raised, their bodies joined to their souls, so that body and soul we may enjoy Christ Jesus. That is what heaven is all about, isn't it? Hopefully you're not trying to live the best life possible because you just want to get to heaven But we live our lives, we purify ourselves as he is pure because we want to be with Christ Jesus, which is far better. The moment unknown. There have been many who have tried to predict. They say, well, no, we don't know the hour, but we can tell you what the month and the year is going to be. Oh, foolish people. How misled many were by Harold Camping at that time, when he tried to give a date. Thankfully, before he died, he said he was wrong. He confessed his error of trying to have this kind of knowledge. We don't know when, but we know it is sure. We know it's sure because young people, as you hear in catechism, as you hear also in your other classes, there are signs. Signs in nature, signs in the church, signs in society so that we can hear the footprints of Christ Jesus. He is coming. He is coming. He is coming soon. Coming to judge the wicked coming to reward His own. Reward them in His grace. Not that we deserved anything. Even the best works that we have is really Christ's power and the Holy Spirit working within us, enabling us to do those things, to fight the good fight, to run the races before us, to make our salvation and election sure. We are raised up by the power of Christ. For Christ is the head, isn't he? And where the head comes, think a moment in the birth of animals, or think a moment of the birth of children. Where the head comes out, the body must follow it. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, he arose from the dead and he ascended up into heaven which means his body, his church, his bride, will follow him. The ground of our hope is Christ Jesus, which certainly is not a hope of all humanity. And that hope, as I said, is not in ourselves or what we have done, but it is only in the merits of our Lord Jesus Christ, As he was raised, so also he will raise his own. He has raised them in regeneration. That's called the first resurrection. And there will be a second resurrection when our bodies are also raised to new life, taken to Christ the head. All this accomplished by our mighty Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, think about it. These bodies, with all of its deformities, with all of its weakness, with all of its pains, will be raised like the body of Christ Jesus. A real body. When Jesus was raised, he is able to say to his disciples, Look at my hands that have been pierced and at my feet. And look at the sword hole in my side. A real body, but now a body fit not to continue forever on earth, but rather to be in heaven. That's where Christ is now physically, isn't it? That was the mistake of Martin Luther, who thought that somehow Jesus' human nature took on The attributes of his divine nature everywhere present on every communion table. No. Where is Jesus now? Physically he is in heaven even while by his spirit and word he's in his church and he's within us. Our bodies will be raised like Christ's body. Same bodies but different. Some of the most important functions that we have of our earthly bodies is marriage, isn't it? Or eating and drinking to have strength. But there will be none of that in heaven. No need for that. What eternal bliss. What an object of joyful hope. Our souls immediately at death with Christ. When Christ comes, our bodies raised, and body and soul, we're able to express ourselves. We're able to serve our Savior. Notice with me then, thirdly, the eternal bliss in the life everlasting. What is that life everlasting? Notice, it is not the case that then finally we have this eternal life. No, it is that life that has been already given to us here. We who were dead in trespasses and sin have been made alive. We are new creatures. We have that new life now in principle. So there's a connection, isn't there? A connection between this life and the life hereafter. Here in this world, we remain sinners to our last day. That sinful nature we have to contend with to that last day. But at Regeneration, we have become another person, haven't we? That is, we're new creatures. New creatures who know and love the Lord, who have daily uh, conversion to Him And conversation with him. And our worship service now again. And every time we have devotions. The Lord speaking to us. And we respond in song. In prayer. In worship. We already have eternal life. Notice what Jesus said. He who believes in me has everlasting life. Notice again, boys and girls, what Jesus said is not what he said, was someday we'll have eternal life, but he who believes in me has eternal life. The life of heaven within us. Yes, it's the difference. This life that we have now could be compared to the buds on a rose plant. It promises life, doesn't it? But oh, when those buds open up. Oh, when body and soul, we're going to be with Christ day after day, everlastingly. We will be perfect. Now we sing, but we stammer at times at the words, or sometimes we don't even take note of all the words that we're singing, but then we will sing perfectly. We'll live perfectly perfectly. The grand marriage feast, the bride with her groom. No wonder we have that theme in the scripture and we sing it, I love the Lord, the fount of life and grace. We're able to say, thy statues have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage, and now I'm going to sing them everlastingly, isn't that we read in Isaiah chapter 35? Let me read that verse again. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return, and they will come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing will flee away. We will inherit perfect salvation. Now you and I have the beginning. In fact, we read in Scripture, we have a small beginning but thank the Lord, there is that small beginning of new obedience. Negatively, this life that is ours, this everlasting life, we read, eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, nor is it entered into the heart of man. It's not of our doing, it's not of our imagination, but rather it's God's word. He holds that joyful hope before us. We will forever be with the Lord. And then positively, to praise God forever. Hopefully in our worship services we're praising him. Hopefully, when we wake up in the morning, we're praising him. When we lay down our head on the pillow, we're praising him. But then, perfectly, what a God we have! What a God we have. That is the blessedness of the life to come. Continually singing God's praise, but not only singing, but with tasks to perform. They're the songs of labor in the kingdom. New obedience. As we read in Psalm 118, verse 1, and the Psalter, So longs my soul, O living God, to taste thy grace, when unto thee shall I draw near, O when within thy courts appear, and see thy face object, comfort, joyful hope. No more blindness, no more deafness. Our tongues loosened to only sing praises to God and our feet never going in error but rather always serving and running in his commandments. Hands busy in his kingdom, no more enemies, no more predators on the way to tear, or to devour, no more deserts. But in the land of beauty, the new heavens and the new earth join together, serving our God. What a motivation. So that you and I can go forth from this place of worship into our next week. Whether it be students in school, whether it be mothers in the house, Whether it be in factory or field or farm or office, wherever God places us, we serve our risen Savior, and we're going to be with him forever. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee for laying this joyful hope before thy people. For there are many tears in our life, tears of those who are dealing with cancer, Tears of those who have lost loved ones. And of course, Father, they're the tears, the continual tears of us when we realize our terrible, terrible sins and all those tears will be taken away because those sins are all gone and all things are made new. Yes, Lord, liven in us that joyful hope so that we live now eager. Eager to serve thee. Amen. Let's turn in our Psalters to number four hundred twenty four. Taken from Psalm ninety eight Sing a new song to Jehovah. For all the wonders he has wrought. Let's sing stanzas one, two, and four of 424.